Good morning, everyone. You know, it's funny, when I start the sermons these days, we started about 12. So I can't really say good morning, everyone. So good afternoon, everyone. I bring you greetings from the west side of Florida. I was over in uh, the Tampa Bay on Wednesday and then Thursday in Fort Myers. I just had a great trip. Got to meet with the uh, Anthony Elizabeth Eccles and also Chris Kolpeck from the Orlando churches in town. And so it was great to get some time with everyone over there. Had a blast, had a great trip, came back a little tired. And yet, uh, I'm fired up to be back, amen? Then we had something really awesome on uh, Friday night. About 50 of us met on the beach up in Fort Lauderdale and we did something, we did something kind of crazy. We prayed all night. You know, I don't, I was trying to remember the last time I did something like that. I really, I don't remember. It's been over 25 years since I've done something like that. Uh, some of you aren't even 25 years old, so, you know, but uh, it was a great time. We had a blast. We started out just being thankful to God all together. We sang some songs and then we went through and we spelled the word sages. So sages is the name of what we call our world sector, South Asia, Gulf and Eastern States. And it spells sages. We did a little bit differently. We prayed about S. We prayed about sin. We prayed about our own sin. Hopefully you didn't pray too much about other people's sins, but <laughs> maybe to be forgiven of their sins, right? Then uh, the A, well, we just did, we spent an hour in adoration of God. That was probably personally for me the most moving of the whole uh, time that we were there. Being able to just take an hour and go, God, why do I love you? What about you do I love? What is it I adore about you? And I just felt... You know, you go to something like that, you're supposed to be a mountaintop experience, you know, you want to be, have, a, have a great emotional experience. That's really not what it's about, but we hope for that. And yet, it took a couple of uh, two hours of prayer for me to really start feeling like I was there for God and not for me. And it just, it was a great moment. And we prayed about the G in Sages and we talked about our goals for 2019, goals for ourselves personally, for the church, for our families. And then the E was earnest, which what are we earnest and eager about? And we prayed about uh, really helping other people become Christians. Prayed about being eager to know the word. There were a lot of things that we talked through and we sang some more songs and we closed it out with what you call supplication. That's when you ask God for things. So we saved that for the end and I literally did it intentionally. We only had about 20 minutes left. You know what I mean? So sometimes we go to God like he's the great genie. We rub the base, he comes out, hey, give us three wishes. And, you know, that's not what God is. God uh, wants a relationship with us. He's our Father, and the, and the Lord Jesus is our Savior. And so we wanted to be able to pray, but uh, I'm telling you, I don't know about, how many of you guys went to that on, on Friday night? Amen? Now, on the other hand, on Saturday, <laughs> to say I was a little tired is an understatement. Slept for a while and kind of lost most of the day. <laughs> At the end of the day, honestly, it was worth it, but I, I just had a great time. I want to thank you guys for going with us. Um, I, those of you who didn't get to come, amen, come another time. We just had a great time. We spent a lot of time praying for you. I don't say that to, you know, lift them up and put anyone down. It was just an incredible time, but it does take a lot of heart to go and pray all night. And uh, we're hoping and praying that God will hear our prayers and meet our needs. Today, the title of the sermon is, Take Nothing for the Journey. 
take nothing for the journey. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. I have but two points today. Point number one, sent out to preach. And point number two, when God is enough. In verse 1 of Luke chapter 9, it says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You know, what a great opportunity this is. We find that Jesus has pulled together his 12 guys. His ministry's been going for some time now. He's been preaching the word. He's been healing the sick, feeding people, take care of everyone around him. This is the heart of our Lord. And right now you find that Jesus has 12 guys that he's specifically training. He's working with them to help them to do what he does. What's amazing is Jesus created a situation where once he was gone, the church would keep going. That's pretty amazing. And right here we find he calls them together and he gives them two things. He gives them power and he gives them a message. You know what I love about Jesus, one of the many things, is that he was an incredible leader. Have you ever looked through the scriptures and just found little clues about his leadership capabilities? What he was able to do? I mean, to this day, I just think the greatest leader of all time that ever lived was Jesus. And then he grabbed these 12 men and he put those teachings in them so that then they could go and take that to the rest of the world. Do you guys love good leadership? Yeah. Have you ever been in a situation where there's just really bad leadership? And maybe it was you? <laughs> you know, I've, I've not been the leader and it was really not good. My leader was, you know, doing the best he could. You know, the old saying, you know, bless his heart. He really tried. <laughs> And then there were times that I was the leader, like, yeah, let's go. And it's like, yeah, you know, just total destruction. And, you know, that we compare ourselves to Jesus. There's just no comparison. But I love great leadership. It, it just, it gives, you, it gives you the direction. It empowers you to do the things that you probably couldn't have done by yourself. You ever had a really good coach? And you find yourself in the middle of the season, at the end of the season, going, man, I thought I'd never do that. Well, it's because great leadership got you there. You know, I have a new favorite show on uh, Netflix. It's called Blue Bloods. You know, some people like it, some people don't. But uh, here's what I love. Tom Selleck is the New York City commissioner of the chief of police there. And uh, Donnie Wahlberg is a detective. You guys know who Donnie Wahlberg is? You guys know Mark Wahlberg? Yeah. Mark Wahlberg, back when I was a kid, was Marky Mark. Yeah. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> and then in time, he, he became part of the new kids on the block. Like, what? So Mark and Donnie Wahlberg were the new kids on the block. I, I didn't really remember that until I looked it up today. I was like, wait a minute. Donnie Wahlberg? That's awesome. There's hope for all of us, amen. But uh, I love the, in the show, I love the leadership lessons that are taught. There's, there's incredible leadership lessons taught. You see the tension in the family and the, the things they get into, they fight with each other, then they work it out. And, and sometimes it's kind of sad, sometimes it's super encouraging, but, but there's a great leadership quality. The grandfather is there, Tom Selleck is the dad, you know, Mark 
uh, excuse me, Donnie Wahlberg is the son, and, and uh, it's just a neat, it's a neat story about trying to oversee 33,000 cops in New York City. And each week I just learn kind of cool lessons. But it's just a cop show. The best leadership lessons we're ever going to find are watching Jesus. And right here we find Jesus pulls his 12 together and he does something for them that every leader needs to learn how to do. He gives them power and he gives them a message. He gives them power and he gives them a message. Here's what's awesome. You and I have been given the exact same thing. We've been given power. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've been given power and you've been given a message that will literally revolutionize and change the world. But if you don't live in the power that you've received, we're not going to get the job done. If we don't take heart the great leadership that God has given us in Jesus and his example and put those leadership qualities into practice in our church, whether you're leading one person yourself or whether you're leading a whole entire congregation, we've got to be able to put these things into practice. Let's talk about what power is not. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if Jesus gave them power, and certainly he did, we can understand what it is and what it is not. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1, the Bible says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Sound familiar? You ever met anybody that's a lover of themselves? You ever looked in the mirror? Amen. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This sounds terrible, but isn't that your life before you were a Christian? Isn't that how you lived and how the people around you lived even to this day? It's a depressing situation. It's a horrible thing. The proper leadership isn't in place. The people have been given power, but they haven't accepted it because they haven't really become true disciples. But even in the church, sometimes we live and we allow these things to come back into our lives. We've got to go back to what we were called to. In verse 5, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. How was your week? Did you live with power? I mean, I don't know about you, but I heard between the lines that two of the people who spoke today already said it was the hardest week of their life. And yet, here they are up in front of us speaking to give us hope. Amen? But sadly, most people live and will die having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And the Bible right here says has not, have nothing to do with them. That scares me a little bit, because I've had days, weeks, months, even years where I lived as a Christian without power, frustrated, down, ticked off about everything, not understanding what I've been given by God. Anybody who's become a disciple has been given power. So if you find that you're having a form of godliness but not in his power, I want to ask you how you're really doing in your relationship with God. He goes on and he says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. 
always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. You know what's amazing about this passage? He exposes the sin that's so common. And he reminds us that's not who we were. That's not who we're called to be. We're called to be men and women with power. It's so vivid that he says, stay away from people who live without power but act religious. Church, let that never be us. Hey, listen, you have a bad week like that? You go, whoa, that was a terrible week. I was like a religious nutcase. And I had no power in my life. Okay, dust yourself off, get up and get going again. And go back to what you've been given. You know, have you ever met someone that's disciplined, but they're not really a disciple? They're very disciplined. They're organized, disciplined, they're on it, but Jesus isn't Lord. And so then one, one of the things that starts happening in their lives is they're starting to depend on man's power. Hey, you can be a disciplined person and go straight to hell. Discipline does not equal holiness. Discipline does not equal salvation. There are some very, very focused and disciplined people that seem to have power, but it's not spiritual power. As a matter of fact, a disciplined man without God just gets arrogant about the power that they have, the power of self-control, the power to overcome the obstacles that tear down most people. Also, on the other hand, undisciplined men without God get insecure. Insecure, man-focused, and that leads to bitterness, and it destroys our lives. As soon as I take my eyes off of God and I start looking at people, I need, I need, I need, I become this giant sucking vacuum of a human being. <laughs> Give it to me! <laughs> and no matter how much people give to you, it's never enough. What do you want from your wife? Husbands? What do you want from your husband, wives? It's so easy to destroy other people because of our insecurity and being focused on man and not focused on God. It also creates entitlement and unhealthy relationships where rather than depending on God, we're crushing the people around us and sucking the life out of them when we're called to live with power and give life to other people. You know, I'm going to be honest. I try to avoid people that do that. Because unless they turn to God, there is no way to help them. There's no way to help them. You know, I just read the Jeff Bezos, the key founder of Amazon. Richest man in the world. Last I checked, 112 billion is his net worth. The other day he lost 40 billion, but it was no big deal. He got it back. He might lose a billion in a given day, and it's like, yeah, you know, I lost a billion. What'd you lose, a nickel? Yeah. <laughs> He's created uh, one of the most powerful, actually, technically speaking, the single most powerful company in the world. And I, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He has no power. He's disciplined. He's hardworking. He's successful. He's super rich. And yet he has no power in his life. How do I know? Well, because he had an affair. A married man made a covenant with another person. Made a covenant relationship, but he didn't have the power to follow through because he depended on himself. I don't know the man. I don't want to slander him, but the results are obvious. 
Of course, we need to pray for men like that and help them in any way we can. Is your power from your dependence on other people, or is your power from God? Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He writes to the young evangelist Timothy, he says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. You ever read that and go, then why am I so timid? <laughs> well, you got to remember what you have. God did not give us a spirit of timidity. So when we're timid, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, when we're insecure, when we're man-focused, when we're relying on ourselves, timidity, insecurity, powerlessness starts taking over your life. But it's because you're depending on yourself and not on God. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Right here we find that the source of boldness, self-discipline, and power is God. I love the message. Look in Acts chapter 1. Some of the most powerful men and women I've ever met are also the most deeply insecure, deeply controlled by their passions and lusts. They're deeply controlled by what other people think of them. If they could just get a little bit more money, be a little bit more successful, someone will really love them deeply. It's a trap. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wow. He literally says, Wait, and you're going to see what I can do. I'm going to give you the power to be able to get to the ends of the earth. Guys, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. And he says, you're going to get the message to the end of the earth. But you can't do that without power from God. Secondly, he gave them a message. Look in verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus gives them a mission. He gives them a message. He tells them that their entire plan is going to be to get the kingdom's message out. How do we know this? What was on Jesus' heart after he rose from the dead? There was one thing on his heart. The message about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, if you rose from the dead, what would you be talking about? There was one thing on his mind. He goes, man, guys, there's one thing I want you to grab a hold of. It's the kingdom of God. And we learn in the scriptures and in Matthew 16, the kingdom and the church is the same thing. Wow. He's fired up about the church. Well, what's in the church? All these amazing, awesome disciples who've been repented of their sin. They were baptized, forgiven of their sins. Amen. They become a disciple, a true follower of Jesus. And now they receive the Holy Spirit. They now have the power to live the Christian life. This is the message that we've been given. The message is about the kingdom of God. Look in Romans chapter 1. It says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the 
power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The second thing Jesus gives them, he gives them power, amen? But he gives them a message to go preach. Go and preach about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's message is to be forgiven, and in it we find the power of God, which is salvation for everyone. I spent a lot of years wasting my time hoping that someday I'd understand what it meant to really be saved. I didn't know the message. I didn't understand the message. So many people that are part of the church today literally have told me face to face, you know, I went to church all my life and I never knew the message. And right here, Paul says he's not ashamed of the message because there's where the power of God comes from. If we're not following the message about how to be saved, you have no power and this is why you live powerless. If you're in the church, you've become a disciple, and yet you're living powerless, you've forgotten the message. You need to memorize it, meditate on it, marinate about it, live it, and then you're going to start finding the message will set you free. In order to receive power, you must know, believe, and live the message. Jesus is the Christ, and he's given us the power. You know, what's so awesome is yesterday, the uh, LTP and quite a few people went out and just were sharing their faith with people all around the Miami area. I get a report every night from this program that we're going through. And yesterday alone, 113 people saw the power in the lives of the disciples as they shared the message about Jesus Christ. In one day's time, 113 people were shared with. And that doesn't even include the other story I heard. After an all-night prayer, after an all-night prayer, Dalvin and Jose had made a decision that they're going to go out and share their faith with 100 people each. So they prayed all night, and if I understand right, they didn't go to bed. They went straight to the streets. And they shared with 202 people. They got into a Bible study on the spot just from sharing their faith with people. Hey, they sit down, they study the Bible on the spot. I look at that and they go, man, what a powerful example of two men making a decision. I've been given power and I've got a message to preach. You know what I'm going to do? I've got no sleep, but I'm going to go give my heart. I'm going to find somebody that will hear the message and see the power of God and prayerfully be saved. Amen. There's so many other stories all through the week of people giving their heart, pouring themselves out to share their faith because they believe that in the message, people will find the power that comes from God and have a relationship with Him. I don't want to live a powerless life. We are sent out to preach. So church, let's preach. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. <laughs> And back to Luke, Luke chapter 9 and verse 3. Luke chapter 9. 
And point number one, we find that they are sent out to preach. They're giving power, and they're given a message, and they go do it. He goes on, and he says, he told them, take nothing for the journey. <laughs> Every time I read that, I go, what was he thinking? Everybody telling one of your employees, get to work. I'm like, well, what do I do? Just go. <laughs> he tells them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. All the things that people normally depended on in the first century to go on a journey. He said, I don't take that stuff. That would literally be like telling a computer programmer, no computer, get the work done. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town as a testimony against them. You know, we've been talking in the uh, LTP program about accountability. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word accountability? Pressure. Guilty. I'm going to get caught. I mean, it's all kind of, we have a bad connotation when it comes to accountability. So Jesus goes, guys, I'll tell you what, take nothing for the journey and go evangelize the world. And then, oh, wait, oh, wait a second, what? And then he says, here's your accountability. As you go and preach, you got nothing. If you don't find a place to stay, you're going to sleep on the street. If you don't find some people that actually like you, you're going to have no food to eat. Good luck. <laughs> I, just, I love that. That's some serious accountability. Verse 6 is awesome. So they set out and went. <laughs> they just did it. That's crazy. They set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Why? What had they received? Power and a message. They didn't get anything else. That's all they needed. No flip charts, no videos, nothing. They didn't have a Bible study series. Because they didn't need it. They knew Jesus. They could share about him. Guys, believe it or not, they didn't even have a Bible. The scrolls were kept in the temple. They had to remember it. How well do you know the message? Could you help someone become a, a disciple without ever opening a Bible? You just tell them, oh, wait, over here, and this was what it says. Oh, and over here, here's what it says. Sometimes people hear stuff like that and they get stressed out, like, bro, I can never do it. Yes, you can. When God is enough, you'll understand. You don't have to take anything for the journey. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. Now this is a king, guys, one of the kings. A Tetrarch is one who is over a third. He was over a third of this part of the Roman Empire. He says, and Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on and was perplexed. Well, how did a king hear about it? They had no cell phones and no TV, no radio, no cars, no planes, and no Bible, for crying out loud. Because they listened to Jesus, and they knew that what he gave them was enough. And he was perplexed because some of the men were saying that John had raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and said others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. So the message that they were preaching was so powerful that this king was blown away. Wait a second, that guy rose from the dead. The guy that I killed rose from the dead. He's terrified. Well, in fact, it was Jesus and not Elijah, not John the Baptist. 
Verse 9, but Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned, that it, learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied to them, You give them something to eat. <laughs> this is a great story. Why do we feel that we need so much besides God? We're conditioned by this world, by the American way of life. We're conditioned to depend on things. Why do we feel the need so much? These guys had the power from God, and they had a message. He had taught them how to pray. He had showed them the example. He had lived the life. And he just says, guys, go and do this for other people. And they went and did it. There was such a radical impact that we're going to find in a moment that there are 5,000 men that show up. And they were sent with nothing. Why is it we feel the need for things besides God so radically? Does that scare you? I asked the staff meeting on Tuesday, I said, guys, can we evangelize the world with no money? And they all did the same thing you're doing. Like, no, yes, no. Could we evangelize the world with no money? Of course. All we need is God. Like, oh, bro, you're just being silly. Do we need this room? We can meet in a park. I mean, you know, get rained on. Would you die if you got rained on? What about in the summer? Oh, it's too hot. It'd be too hot out there. Now, I'm going to ask the question. You're probably going to be confused, but would you die out in the heat? Some are like, yeah, no, you wouldn't die in the heat. <laughs> you may feel like it because you're used to the air conditioning being set at 68. And we've come to depend on that. You know, it's interesting. In Portland, Oregon, when I lived there, it got really cold. And then I moved to Phoenix. Phoenix, Arizona. The day we arrived, it was 114 degrees. And it stayed that way for two weeks. And I was like, what's going on? Within about two weeks, my body adjusted. And I go, you know what I said to people? That's eh, not that hot. I had come to depend on the air conditioning. I had come to depend on the comfort. But the truth is, we don't really need it. What else do you depend on? Talking through some things with some friends and studying that a little bit, I've come up with what some would call the six basic human needs. I talked about this a long time ago, but I want to remind you of some things and talk about it. Six basic human needs, and this is more emotionally, okay? Certainty. Don't you want that? You want, I want to know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get a paycheck. You know, I want to know. When I go home, my apartment's there. 
Certainty is something that is a need emotionally inside of us. Security and safety, that certainty of these things. Significance. Don't you want to feel important? I do. I want to feel important. I want my life to count for something. I want my life to be worthwhile and have a purpose. Love and connection, isn't that a need? I need love. I want to be connected with people. It's something that I need. What about fun and variety? Dude, that'll make your life kind of spicy. I got some fun. I got some variety. I'm going to do something different. What about freedom? Is that a need? And what about power? You want to have a little power to do something. You want to have freedom. You want to have variety. You want to have love. You want to have significance. You want to have certainty. But what if you take all of those away? Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be okay? We think about the physical things, food, shelter, and clothing. Now, those things you actually really need. Right? I want to ask you a question. What if God could meet all my needs? What if through God I could be okay when there's not certainty? What if through God, if my worthiness and my purpose gets shaken, I'm still okay? I'm still significant because of God. If all my relationships fail and flail and things go south, and yet I still have a love and connection with God, won't I be okay? The variety of life. I love that. If that was taken away, and yet I just did what God asked me to do. Isn't there a lot of variety and spiciness in the life of a Christian? Isn't that enough? Freedom. Who's really free? Who's really free? you got to serve somebody. That's just a fact in life. The question is, who are you serving? What if all your freedom was taken away and like Paul, you were put in jail? Time and time and time again. Is God enough? Is the freedom that he offers enough? And power. We already talked about that. God wants to give us power. But if my physical, earthly power was taken away, is God enough? Are you with me here? Yeah. You know, they were sent with nothing. We depend so much on so many things. This week, I was talking to uh, Sarah, and she showed us this little video. And it's, uh, it's the, the idea is, uh, what if Bible characters had an iPhone? And so we're going to try to take a look at that right now. And just laugh a little bit, but I want you to think about what is it that you're depending on? What are you depending on? Now listen carefully. We'll get it, we'll get it, hang tight. It's coming. Hey, if God's enough, you won't worry about the video, right? 
It's coming. We'll get there. So guys, while Chris is uh, sorting that out, I want to ask a couple other questions. Look in Genesis chapter 22. Let's be completely, completely honest with one another. Amen? Here we go. All right, I'm about to call Postmates. Does everyone want the fish dinner then? We'll just, I'll just call a bunch of them. Jesus is on the way, so just get, maybe just get a couple. He'll take care of us. Okay, yeah, all right, all right. just get, Two then? Two. All right, yeah, just two, we'll just do two fish, yeah. Yeah, maybe like five loaves of bread with it? Yeah, that's good, yeah, perfect. Bro, I just got a Venmo request from Judas. Dude, Jesus just got a blue check mark. How did he get verified? He only has 12 followers. I have way more than that. <laughs> Dude, David is liking and commenting on every one of Bathsheba's spring break pics. What's he doing? I thought I, he was supposed to be at war. I don't know, dude. Also, what? Yeah, what? Okay, <laughs> we can't do that. <laughs> dude, I'm on Facebook Marketplace right now. Look at this. Joseph's brothers are selling him. Can you do that? Oh, Job. He's just going on and on. He said he lost everything. Probably going to get a Kickstarter up oh. soon. Bro, I was talking to Mary and Joseph last week. They were trying to price line a hotel in Bethlehem. Couldn't find anything. They ended up having to like Airbnb some like rustic barn, dude. Brutal. If Noah Instagrams one more time about his DIY project, I'm it's, done. It's too much. Like He's like, I'm getting these instructions from heaven. Oh, yeah. Doubt it. Dude. I ain't getting on that boat. Oh, look, another bachelorette in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Seen it. Sin City, we get it. Don't look behind you. You know what I'm saying? Because the... What? Okay, forget it. Dude, are you friends with the prodigal son on Snapchat? Have you seen his stories? He just like left his dad's house. He's in like another city just losing it. Dude. Insane. Like not safe for work. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay, dude, have you heard from Paul in a while? Maybe he's in prison again? Again? <laughs> dude, you want a bite of this? Do I look like Adam to you? Okay. Bro, you follow the rich young ruler? Is that that SoundCloud rapper? No, it's a guy. Oh. He's always posting about his house and his cars and stuff. He met Jesus last week. Literally haven't heard from him. It's weird. Dude, Jesus came to town on a donkey. I saw that. Could he not get an Uber? I mean, maybe he was searching. <laughs> Dude, are you in this group chat with Shadar, Kamishak, and Abednego? Uh, I used this fire emoji. They got all offended. Oh, uh, okay. Jonah tweeted he was going deep sea fishing three days ago. Have you heard from him? Maybe he doesn't have service. <laughs> do you follow Saul? Yeah, what? He changed his username to Paul. What? <laughs> Bro, do you have locations on for the children of Israel? They're just like wandering around. Literally makes no sense. Have you seen the weather for today? No, what? 50% chance of quail. Weird. Wow. Uh, Abram and Isaac posted a selfie that headed the mountains for a little father-son trip. Amazing. What could go wrong? Uh -huh. Wait, what's that rope for? Uh -huh. Oh my goodness, Lot's daughter's pregnant. She's gonna have a baby. No. I wonder who the dad is. <laughs> Too far. <laughs> Bro, you're following the woman at the well? That's not like that. Check your heart, dude. <laughs> So maybe it's better that Bible characters didn't have iPhones. Why did I show the video? Do we really need those things? You know, we can laugh about stuff like that, but we get so dependent on things that have nothing to do with God. I want to ask you something. What if we take away your family? What if we take away your family? Is God enough? See, when we get down to the real issues that we get dependent on, we got to check our hearts. 
If God's not enough, it means there's idols in your life. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, this guy was already over 100 years old. He just had a child. And now God goes, hey, Isaac, I have an idea. Here's the direction. I need you to go. Go and sacrifice your son. I'll show you where to go. Some people read this story and they say, that can't be from the Bible. God would never tell someone to sacrifice their son. Oh, he did. He sent him to sacrifice his son because God was convinced that God was enough. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Can you imagine what he's feeling? Can you imagine where his heart is going? But God, you don't understand. You gave him my son. How can I have descendants? How can the world be blessed through me if I don't even have a son? But he gets up early in the morning. He took with him two of his servants, his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now listen carefully what he says. We will worship and then we will come back. For Abraham, God was enough. God was enough. He was willing to sacrifice his one and only son for his God. Because he knew that God would meet his needs. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father uh, Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but uh, where's the lamb and the burnt offering? Abraham answer, answered him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Isaac's no dummy. Yeah. You want? <clears throat> hey, uh, hey, Dad. Uh, just had a quick question for you. Is there a lamb coming around here? When they had reached the place, God told them about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him up on the altar on top of the wood. Question answered. Where's the sacrifice? Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What does God want from each one of us? Everything our trust. He wants us to trust him to meet all of our needs. Abraham went through with it, guys. Abraham laid his son on the altar. Abraham lifted the knife. I can imagine the tears in his eyes. God, I don't know why I have to do this. But for you, I'll do it because I trust you with everything. Because God was enough for Abraham. Of course, the Lord wouldn't let him go through with it. Sends an angel, stop, I got this. I see your heart. That's what I was looking for. That's all I wanted to know. 
Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. You know, interestingly, God sent his son. And he didn't send him to sacrifice someone else. He sent him himself to be sacrificed. And just like Isaac carried the wood, Jesus carried the cross. He went up on the mount, just like Isaac and Abraham. He was laid on that piece of wood, just like Isaac was laid on the piece of wood. But rather than a ram replacing him, Jesus was the lamb. And he went through with it. Why? Because God was enough. In his dying breath, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt all the sin that you and I put on him. And he did that for us, proving once again that God is enough. And then amazingly, three days later, he rose from the dead so that we could have a new life. You know, today it is very exciting to see Nico come to be baptized. Amen. When you give up everything, your false security and things that you depend on, certainty that can never come without God. Guys, what is there in our life that's really certain? And yet we spend time and effort and we lose our hair trying to find certainty. And God goes, there isn't any, but if you trust me, I got it. We seek for years for significance and we find ourselves going down the road of sin to try to find significance. And God goes, stop, I'll give it to you. Just give me everything you've got. Stop having relationships the way you have them. You do it my way and I'll meet all your needs. You'll have love and connection. There'll be variety. There's going to be freedom. And you'll live with power. I love the life of a disciple. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But it's the greatest, most awesome thing I've ever done. I lost my family for the sake of the gospel. And yet God gave me a new one. All over the world, we have brothers and sisters meeting today that have the same hope. As a matter of fact, in Hong Kong this week, 14 members of the church in Hong Kong had 15 people at Bible Talk this week. In New York City today, they're having six people baptized and four place membership. In Manila, that church has gone through another transition now. Ricky and Colleen Chalon are leading the church. They have about 225 disciples today with nothing. What do they have in the Philippines? One of the poorest places I've ever been. Take away their cell phones, and they're just as awesome as anyone else. 225 disciples had their largest attendance ever. 558 people came to church today. Six were baptized in one place membership. Literally, daily additions in that church. My question is simple. Is God enough? Is God enough? Do you understand 
that you've been given power. You just have to live in his power and stop depending on yours. And you've been given a message to preach. Amen? Amen. You want significance? There it is right there. You've got the greatest purpose in the history of the planets to save souls. And secondly, when God is enough. When we believe that God is enough, we'll be able to take nothing for the journey. Amen.